0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the True Life Podcast. We are here with the one and only Dr. David Solomon, and we have been on a bit of a spiritual journey. The two of us. We have been covering a very not only interesting but fulfilling and I think wonderful book that uh, Dr. Solomon has written, The Seven Deadly Sins. Um, we've gone through the we've gone through them all, and we're going to wrap it up today and try to put a nice bow on it and um, give everybody one last. One last Hail Mary here, I guess.
1: (laughs) You got a a lot of metaphors going on there. That's pretty funny.
0: (laughs) So here we are at the conclusion, Dr. Davidson. What what do you think about the conclusion? Where would you like to start at?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the the book was a journey uh, for me as as well as I imagine for readers. And um, ultimately, it was sort of a decision about where do I want to end up with this? What do I want to say? and the conclusion i hope is um a little optimistic but tempered with with some warnings uh the kinds of warnings that have peppered the book about excess Mm -hmm. and allowing um technology to really take over our lives and the dangers that that presents um, you know, it's, it's interesting. There's been quite a bit in the news, just in ironically, in the last week about um, these issues about empathy and loneliness. Um, there was an interesting op-ed in the Sunday Times this week on, on what Charles Blow called the empathy deficit. Um, there was an article, there was a, a piece that I was reading, I think it was in yesterday's Times, on loneliness. And then just before I Uh, Got on to the podcast with you George. I just read on the online that uh, Now they're saying that Naomi Judd actually took her own life Um, it was suicide and We do live in a in a troubled world and I think part of my message in the book is When it comes down to it, all we've got is each other and so we have to learn how to treat each other in a more humane way and if that means consideration of these sins and what they mean, then maybe that's a good place to start.
0: Yeah, I I agree. In a world that was promised, in a technological world that promised us togetherness, there's never been more loneliness.
1: Yeah, it's ironic, isn't it? Um, <laughs> you know, Sherry Turkle's uh, most recent book, I think, is called Alone Together, mm-hmm. um, and it, it, it it's it's just perfectly said that you know, that's really what's going on here. And of course, the two years of the pandemic exacerbated that. um, And I'm sure that 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 certainly, um, you know, certainly didn't help, but we were certainly headed there before that. Um, And I saw it starting really after 9-11, when people started to kind of get into that bunker mentality and hunker down at home um, we saw an explosion in in home fix it shows on TV. Um, all of that really contributed to this this um, isolation, yeah. which we have as a as a modern culture. Um, interestingly, we we seem to encourage it um, isolation and also a a separation from each other. Um, you know so much so that that you think about the ways in which technology has has taken over in so many sectors of our lives and replaced the human connection um i had to call aaa yesterday um for for i hadn't called aaa in literally decades but that's why you have it yeah. and i called aaa and i was really amazed there's nobody there anymore it's all automated And I thought, well, how are they going to find my car? And they texted me while I was on the phone with them a map of my immediate area and said, move the dot and put it where your car is. And if the guy didn't drive right up to my car an hour later, it was just amazing. So, you know, there are incredible things that technology can do, but it did seem a little bit weird reporting this and going through all this and never actually talking to anybody live. and. That removal that we've seen, uh, the, you know, the, the replacement of cashiers at the grocery store with self-checkout, um, all of these things have just encouraged us to have less and less contact with each other. And we, and I think, in many ways, and, and this is what a lot of people were saying after COVID, is they were they were really craving that human contact.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I don't understand if it's a. Uh if it is this idea of becoming profitable to get people out of the workforce, you know, there was this idea that technology was going to give people more leisure time, but that never, that never unfolds. It never happens. It just, it seems to make more profits for the people on top. And when it comes to human contact, I often wonder, are we not one organism? And if you don't be in contact with each other, like you lose, you lose that relationship to other people. And it seems like, that re- that losing of ourselves is manifested in the in the by magnifying these sins. I know that doesn't quite make sense but you know when we lose ourselves we find ourselves more in these sins.
1: Yeah, no I think that's 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 true. I think that and this is one of the things that even some of the early writers were concerned about is that that loneliness, that separation mm-hmm. was going to make it a more conducive environment for you to fall into these sinful behaviors um it's certainly what the monks were concerned about in the monastery um that you know if if they were engaged in nothing but meditation and prayer all day long and remain separated from others that that was going to be a a a problem and possibly um open the door as as the genesis text says to, to sin right sin is crouching at the door God yeah. tells uh, Cain and Abel, um, and so it, I think that that is a real, a real concern as we move forward into this new, uh, this new century. What we're going to do? I mean, you know, we started the 20th century with Henry Ford and the and the automated assembly line, and here we are now in the 21st century, and. Um, now we're 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 so far beyond that that you know if you go back and look at uh at at charlie chaplin's modern times which which tries to kind of lampoon the whole idea of the automated assembly line and and show why it's problematic um i I can't imagine what chaplin would think today looking at the way things the way things work um and i do think a lot of it as you say george does come down to um profit motive um the the capitalistic uh society the, the the way the economy works and it is about about in many cases it is it seems to be about profit over people yeah no matter how many times you know the the the, the execs will say that's not what we're doing um it it's it sure as hell looks like that um yeah. And, and, and I just I, I don't I don't understand that. I don't understand how we've lost um, so much of our humanity that we think profit before people. Uh, it's a really sad state.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I I work for a Fortune 500 company and every and I, I, I don't know this to be true of all major corporations, but I do know it to be true of mine. And that is you're given an employee number. And the moment you're given a number, you are that's the beginning of dehumanizing someone. Absolutely. Much easier. Hey, this 075 over here is not working real well. We should get rid of it. Hey, maybe 075's kid died. Yeah. Hey, maybe they're having problems at home. You know, and when you it's so much easier. Well, they, isn't that like one of the first laws of genocide or war, is you dehumanize the other sure. side. So in sure. fact, they're dehumanizing one half of the people they need to be successful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's what we say in higher ed too, right? I mean, yeah. whenever you go to a smaller size institution, you'll always hear them them touting about the fact that you're not just a number here, <laughs> right? Because if you're at an yeah. institution that has 50,000 students, you tend to be a number. Um, you yeah. know, you're, you're, you're number 212 in this class of, of 500, um, whereas it, it's, it's a lot more difficult to be a number in a, in a class of, of 18 students. Um, you know, you become more individual, but I, I do think that that's, that, that's very true, um, that the, the, the way that our um, economy is set up with the, 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 the top 1% making most of the money, and, and it just, it doesn't, it doesn't work for the rest of us, that's for sure, um, Yeah, you know, it may work for the 1%, and, and certainly I'm no economist, I, I have, I have the, the most rudimentary understanding of it, but right. as I've gotten older, I certainly have um, come to understand a little bit about what capitalism is all about. And I'm not saying that it's necessarily uh, an all-encompassing evil. Um, but if we go back and look at some of the original writing on capitalism, we can see how far away we are from that.
0: Agreed. Yeah, it's you know, in the conclusion, you you write about the uh, the, com- the confusion of subject with object. And I think there's a lot of that, what we just talked about a little bit. Can you kind of flesh that out a little bit, what you meant by that?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that quite a bit. Um, right. You know, the, the ability to separate oneself from a situation
0: Yeah.
1: And and really kind of have distance, right? Be able to look at something with a, a less subjective eye and look at it objectively. So it's not just about how this situation affects me, right? That would be the subjective perspective. But it's about, well, what does this mean for, for others? How do other people, how is the world dealing with this? And so um, when we look at something like the environment and we think about what's going on with climate change and, and our role in that, On the one hand, from a very subjective perspective, it would be, well, you know, I'm doing what I need to do for for me. It costs me more money to buy things that are environmentally friendly. It costs me more money to recycle. And so I'm not going to do that because it all affects me. It's all about me. I, 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 I. But if we think objectively and think about, well, what is this doing to the world? You get away from that I perspective and you say, well, look at the impact on nature look at the impact on animals look at the impact on other people um look at the impact on on people just at the level of a of a a country of a nation and what it does um i think that that the ability to do that is probably one of the greatest characteristics that we have as human beings to separate and to be objective and not be completely subjective But for some people, especially folks who are tied up in some of these sins, like pride, um, they get so self-involved that it's very difficult to see anything from any other perspective. And uh, we all know people like that, right? who, Who operate like that on a daily basis. And what I'm talking about is something which is obviously taken to the next level where that really begins to affect and have an effect on, on the world around you.
0: Yeah, it's um it's it makes me sad in a lot of ways. I, you know even if you look at it from a medieval point of view where the king had subjects, now they have objects. And, and you know, it just gets us back to the whole giving people numbers and stuff. It I thought it was uh, interesting how you kind of compared it to metropolis and, mm-hmm. and drone-like workers. And yeah, in, in the
1: Fritz Lang film where, yes. uh, you know, uh, the opening of the film, it, it, the, the workers have basically become robots. Um, okay. And they are, they're very mechanical. Uh, and they, in that film, walk off to work um, in some sort of subterranean environment. Mm. And then Lang switches the, uh, the shot to the, the company owners and the, and the, the wealthy who are basking in the sunshine up above. I think they're actually on the roof of a building um, as far away as they can get from the the workers. And um, we see that every day, don't we? I mean, you know, if you go into any uh, chain store, any corporate owned store, yeah, uh, you know, one of the things that I've always, it's always bothered me about those kinds of places. Now, I, I had a bookstore in the 1980s and it, it always struck me that, I mean, I knew who the owner was. Um, I, I was a manager for the bookstore. The owners were these two brothers. I knew them. They were in the store almost every day. And so you knew who the owners were. And that, I think, made you operate on a daily basis in a different way than if you work in some big corporate environment where I don't know who the owner is. You know, maybe the only person I know who's above me is my immediate supervisor beyond that. I don't know anybody is and so it's about An ability to care about the the nature of your work And I I think that puts a whole different spin on things And uh, again, you know in Chaplin's modern times there's a fantastic scene Mm -hmm. where he is on the on the assembly line and he basically has become robotic by by he's got to turn these turn a wrench on these bolts and he does it over and over again till he be it just he's not even thinking about it anymore um but the the, my favorite scene in that film then is he's pulled off of the assembly line by the boss who has a company has come in to sell him a new product that will allow his workers to continue working so their hands will be free they can continue working while they're having their lunch. So it's an automated feeding machine. And uh, the scene is very funny. Um, they, they strap Chaplin into this machine. And his uh, a, a, a sort of a turntable turns. Mm. And uh, a mechanical arm pushes food into his mouth. <laughs> and, and as you can well imagine, I mean, it, it doesn't work. It's a colossal disaster. And... Um, at the end of it, by the end of the scene, the machine has gone completely haywire, and Chaplin's getting smacked in the face with one of the arms, and he just looks like he's just been beaten down. And the boss says, um, you know, it, it, it's no good, it's it's just not, uh, it's not efficient enough, it's not effective. It's got nothing to do with what it's doing to the worker. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's telling. Yeah, and I that, do too. And, and that film is almost 100 years old.
0: So. Yeah, it's. It I guess it just goes to show it's been going on since the beginning.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it probably has. Um, certainly, it has since we've devised these various economic structures. Um, I think that if you look at 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 somebody like. Um, You know, Yusuf Harari's books, Mm. Sapiens and and Homo Deus and and the others that he's written, um, he kind of goes through how it it wasn't necessarily all that way, always that way. If you go back to to, uh, you know, pre-modern cultures, it was a different kind of a system. And perhaps workers were more cared for then.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting that we have the label worker. You know, we should just call yeah. those slaves because it's it's very similar. You know, when you start delineating, I'm this and you're that, you're this and I'm that. You know, it seems to me that like we're right back into almost envy again when we start using these kind of labels.
1: Yeah, well, it's pigeonholing people, right? Yeah, it's, really it really it, it's, it's, as you say, it's labeling them and it's pigeonholing them. But the thing is that once you label them, you can pigeonhole them, right? Yeah. And so pigeonholing meaning that, you know, we're, we're putting them into this little little box right like a pigeonhole and yeah. they can't really spread their wings literally and they can't move about and they can't really move from one box to the other that's who you are um and that's for me that's always been the problem with freudian psychology is a pigeonhole. <laughs> um,
0: that's
1: why I, i'm more attracted to Jung because Jung gives you the opportunity opportunity to grow and, and move forward. Whereas Freud basically tells you, you know, it, it's, it was all your mother's fault and, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I'm much more in favor, obviously, and I as I think, probably we all are of a system where somebody is permitted to, to grow, you know, we have this idea that even in a work environment, people can, we say, move up, right? Yeah. Um, That, you know, you don't have to be in that same position forever and ever. If you aspire to something higher, um, there might be a possibility. And I know, you know, counseling students um, when they go out on the job market and and are being interviewed for jobs, you know, one of the questions that they always are prompted to ask is, you know, what are the opportunities for growth? Right. Am I going to be stuck in this position forever and ever? Um, Because this is not what I want to do forever and ever. Yeah, um, but I, I, you know, and so it's, it's, but it does provide interesting opportunities for, um, for potholes, right. Um, like yeah. these things, right. So, you know, you could see where it could, uh, it could encourage envy, right. That I, I'm envious of what that guy does and he's got a higher title than I do and he makes more money than I do and he works, you know, 40 hours a week and I work 48 hours a week or whatever the case may be. Um, So there is certainly that opportunity and, you know, it's something which is, which is interesting. And I think if I, if I had continued to work on this uh, topic um, specifically, I would look more at the relationship between the concept of sin and our capitalist economy. Yeah.
0: It's, you know, a lot of, you hear a lot of people talk with the disappearance of God or religion. You begin to see a society that is a lot less, that has a lot less empathy. And when we look at the, when we cover the sins like we did, and we understand how each one is sort of an off ramp on this super highway. And here's another off ramp. Here's another one. It's, it, it really, I think, uh, it really reinforces the need for some sort of spiritual nature, not only in the individual, but in the group as a whole, so that we can't avoid these potholes that you talk about.
1: Sure. And and I think you're right. I think I think it can be an individual spirituality. I don't think it necessarily has right. to be something that we all agree on. Um, so it doesn't have to necessarily be an organized religion, um, if it is terrific, if that's what 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 uh, works for you, then great. Um, But if it comes down to just having an individual spiritual um, sort of, I don't know what the word is, uh, spiritual philosophy, spiritual ethos, um, then I think that that's wonderful. And a lot of people have developed that. And uh, if you haven't developed that, I think you're right. Um, A lot of the times you can uh, fall into an issue where one of the things that we see most prevalent, as you mentioned, is is lack of empathy, because we don't understand and we can't appreciate what other people are going through, right? And, and that's really what empathy is, right? I mean, the difference between empathy and sympathy, right? right? Sympathy is, you know, I'm sorry for what you're going through. Empathy is, I know what you're going through and I'm sorry. Um, there's a difference there. And so if I can empathize with you, it implies that, you know, I know what you're going through. I understand. I feel for you. And um, as a result, your your pain is shared, right? I mean, I, I share right. in, in what you're going through. And um, I think that that can be a beautiful thing as a human yeah, being.
0: I, yeah, I, I think so, too. I... um. You know, you write to something that I thought was that, that kind of got me thinking for quite some time was that the standards of moral behavior moved from external verification to internal monitoring. And I think that that's a big part that you can apply that to almost everything we see in society right now. The sort of internal self-governing that needs no approval from the outside.
1: Yeah, I, I think when it comes to morality, that certainly is the truth. Um, as we've moved these questions of sin to become more legal issues in our culture. Um, it really has kind of confused things, so that uh, you know, it's no. I mean, for years, we'd already always heard that in just about every jurisdiction in the country, I believe, um, adultery, you know, technically, is a, is is against the law. Um, if you actually commit adultery, you have you've broken the law, and so you can be, in theory, arrested and 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 held. Uh, for committing adultery. But I think that the, the more pressing issue for us is is what it means spiritually and morally, not necessarily legally. And too often we get caught up in thinking about the legality of these issues. and we've we've lost the morality of them, which is really what's more important.
0: What do you think the relationship between morality and shame is? And is shame something that could be a positive thing?
1: Shame is, is, is a really interesting emotion, right? It, um, I suppose it can be a positive thing. Um, in most instances that, I, that I've dealt with in the reading that I've done and the work that I've done myself personally on this, um, ain't very positive. <laughs> I got to tell you, um, it's a tough thing to deal with. Um, it's a tough thing to, to reconcile. Um, but certainly I think that ultimately, as with any of these things, it can ultimately be a positive. You know, I, 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 I've got this quote on my wall here in the office. I happen to be looking at it this morning. And so I'm pulling it off the wall to read to you. This is from St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, and he, it's in a section of his Summa Theologica where he's talking about, about sex and about, about particularly about copulation. His question is, is copulation a sin? And this is how he responds. He says, a sin in human acts is that which is against the order of reason. Now the order of reason consists in its ordering everything to its end in a fitting manner. Wherefore, it is no sin if one by the dictative reason makes use of certain things in a fitting manner and order for the end to which they are adapted, provided this end be something truly good. So mm-hmm. again, it's 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 about moderation. It's about what's the ultimate aim of the behavior, right? Is the yeah. ultimate aim within, as Aquinas would say, within reason? And is it is it a good? Is it going to result in a good? Um, and some of these things, I mean, you know, as we talked about, you know, it isn't necessarily. A sin to, to to like or or want to make money.
0: Right.
1: Um, it's when it is when those desires become excessive that we run into the problem. It becomes greed. Yeah, right. And yep. and it works like that on every level here with every one of these sins. Whether it's lust, and and, and you know, I I I it's it's not bad necessarily to have amorous feelings for another human being. Um, When it becomes excessive, problem.
0: Yeah, it's and I think it's something that all of us find ourselves slipping into from time to time. And we're lucky. A lot of us have family or friends or a book or some sort of token that we can look at to kind of pull ourselves back out of that. And and again, this brings us back to empathy, because once you've been in that situation, you can better recognize that. And see somebody else in that situation and maybe help them out a little bit. But I, I, I agree. I This idea of excessiveness and this idea of is it ultimately for something good. I think those are two things if people can just keep in their mind. In fact, I would argue that th- that are two great lessons that I have learned amongst others from this book about these sins. Is that empathy seems to be the key that unlocks the door to freedom from them. So yeah, I think it's and
1: experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and experiencing the world experiencing existence. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the remedy here is not to lock yourself off in a, in a room somewhere. Right. right? Which, is, which was, you know, in many ways, a, a lot of the traditionally, that's the way many people have dealt with it. Uh, right. You know, going back to the Desert Fathers, right, who left this big city. To go out into the desert to pray and be closer to to God, to the medieval mystics and the anchorites who hold themselves up in 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 these rooms and 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 lived out their existence completely alone, so that supposedly they become closer to the divine. Um, and that, you know, it, it can be really helpful to experience that for a little while to go on, you know, a retreat. To go somewhere where you can spend a week, where you're, you know, pretty much isolated, where you can be alone. We say alone with your thoughts, right? Really, kind of reflecting. But then you got to get back in the game, right? I mean, you, you can't, you can't sit on the on the sideline um, because that's just you're you're not part of the game then, um, and you're not going to learn anything. So you know, it's only from experience I think that we learn empathy it's not something that we're born with we 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 you know we 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 talk a lot about people being empaths right um, that you know and that seems to imply that there's, there's something that's just sort of out of the womb that's the way that you are um, i don't think that's true though i think that that's a learned a learned behavior i think it's something that we learn not only from parents and teachers and others but from just the experience of living
0: yeah, on that level, would you say that, you know, we could maybe see sin as a classroom? And I I mean, in some ways, I hate to use this word, but in some ways, it may be good or maybe a learning experience that we can learn from. And that if you realize you are going to do these things, you are going to be victim of these things, you're going to do it, people are going to do it to you. And if you can look at it from that angle, somewhat objectively, you can say, okay, this is a lesson for me to learn. Sure, so in I mean, some I- ways...
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I, lo- I love that 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 analogy of it being like a classroom. I think the key is that you got to graduate. Right? <laughs> At some point, you got to leave. Um, you know, if, if if you keep failing and you're stuck in the same classroom, that's that's not that's not good. <laughs> um, so you know, we want to learn from the experience and then move on, right?
0: Right. Yeah. Maybe. And, and you know, that opens up a whole other set of ideas, like. Uh, how many people do you know that just keep repeating the same class? Or if you look at the earth as a classroom or this life is a classroom, you're like, you, yeah. you failed that class again. Come on. Well, man, we
1: about people making the same mistakes over and over again. Right. And, and, and the interesting thing is if you go back and you look at, at, um, at the, at the, the books of the prophets in the old Testament, the, the Israelites as a group continually make the same mistakes over and over again. Right. They, 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 they offend God, God, Punishes them, they repent, and it starts all over again. And it's like every generation just goes through the same. And 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 ultimately, in in the stories, it's interesting the way that God finally tries to to reconcile them, right? And say, look, you know, I keep giving you second chances here. Um, there's only you know you can only fail a class so many times before they kick you out. Um, you know, that's a belabor the, the 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 analogy here, but. Um, you know I, I don't think it's a it's a bad analogy this idea that you know yeah i mean it is a learning experience but you you got to graduate sometime
0: yeah it's it's funny the way we twist stuff around if you use that same example like god keeps punishing the israelites and they're like so what you're saying is we're the chosen people <laughs> he's like i'm choosing you to go again they're like so we're chosen you know yeah yeah, yeah and there's, a, there's, a, there's a great line uh
1: what film it's in where uh somebody says you know that so 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 you're the chosen people and he says yeah that's something I would really like to talk to God about someday <laughs> um I, 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 I can't remember what film that is now um but it, it it's it, it is interesting isn't it that that the idea of being um chosen for whatever that means yeah um and and then the burden that that places on you yes right? yeah I mean, I've learned from, from three decades of teaching that you have to be very careful when you really um, praise a student for his or her abilities and potential. Um, because sometimes that can be too much of a burden. Yeah. Uh, you know, my daughter just finished her first year in college. She took her final exam in German yesterday, and she's she hap- wasn't happy with it when she left. She said... And it was interesting. The thing that she texted me was, I don't want to disappoint the professor. Hmm. She's done well all semester. And she's afraid that if she doesn't do well in the final, it will disappoint him because it'll let him down because he'll think less of her. Um, And I think that that's a a real issue. And I've learned as a teacher, as a professor, that you kind of have to walk a line between really supporting students, really supporting other people and encouraging them. And implying that, you know, oh, I think you can do everything. And then when they slip up, it seems like it's the end of the world for them that they've let you down. And I I, I don't think we give people enough room for failure and enough grace. Um, and I, I talked a lot about this during COVID about giving people grace, um, especially when it came to these these incredible issues that we were dealing with of literally life and death and just cutting people some slack um and it doesn't necessarily mean lowering the bar i mean my students will tell you i have very high standards and I, and, and you know it's not lowering the bar it's showing you humanity right it's it's it's, it's the student who's one point away from you know, a higher grade and giving them that because it's a point. They missed it by a point. And otherwise they were a good student. They there's nothing really to 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 indicate that they shouldn't, you know, so why my I, I can't count numbers personally as, as a as a professor, I've never graded using numbers. I always tell my students I don't grade using a calculator. I don't even have one. Um, I look at grading as being much more holistic. And I think the way that we judge each other should be based on a more holistic perspective and not based on, well, what did you do today, right? And is that then somehow extrapolated to indicate something about your character overall? No, you screwed up with something that you did today. It was a mistake. You're owning it, important part. You admit you got, you made a mistake. You're going to grow from it. You're going to learn from it. Move on. I'm not going to hold it against you for the rest of your life. And I think that some people are are really harsh and and can't can't uh, can't let that go. Um, now I'm not saying that 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 in in cases of of murder and things like that that's different, right? But I'm talking about these 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 slight um, lapses in judgment that we will have. Um, cut us some slack. We're humans. We're not perfect, right? I mean, one day when we are perfect and we enter the singularity and we can, you know, (laughs) download our consciousnesses from a computer and all be perfect, then that'll be a different situation. But we are not perfect. If there's one thing we know as human beings is that we are not perfect.
0: You know what? I had a friend of mine that he's been listening to our series and it we got off on a conversation that was almost this exact thing. And I was, I was hopeful to get your thoughts on this. He says to me, George, I'm struggling with the idea that as humans, we're not perfect, but God made us perfect. So how can that be? What's this paradox? What What would you say to something like that?
1: Well, I mean, if, if you're going to subscribe to this idea, right? I mean, God may have made us perfect, but we are by nature imperfect as human beings. So God may have created human beings as perfect, but once we have become a part of reality, we become imperfect because reality is imperfect. I, I, I always explain this to my students using using um, the platonic theory mm. of the forms, right? And the, the, that there's a, a different plane of existence on which exists the perfect example of, you know, this mug, right? Yeah. This, what I've got here is an imperfect representation of that perfect form of the mug. Um, In my mind, I can conceive of the perfect circle. As soon as I draw it on the board, it becomes imperfect because it becomes part of this reality, Mm -hmm. and this reality is not perfect. Um, The mystics were striving to get a glimpse of that perfection, right? I mean, that's what, that's what so many of, of, of mystical tradition is about, I mean, Plotinus and, and the Gnostics and, you know, on and on is about gaining some access to that perfection while you are in this life. The hope is that once you are freed of this imperfect body, that you become pure spirit and you can then join that perfection. Right. Or in some cases, depending on the tradition, rejoin that perfection. Yeah. Um, but while we're here, the idea that we can be perfect is is foolhardy party because yeah. we are not far from it. Um, we're far from it. And I mean, even just on on the level of. Of you know, not even thinking about emotional and spiritual perfection. I'm talking about just physical perfection. Our (laughs) bodies mess.
0: Yeah, Uh, you know,
1: some more than others, to be sure. Um, But you know, I mean, physically, we are not perfect human beings. I mean, we are flawed. We have we 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 are prone to disease. Um, There are all sorts of issues here, and um, you know, that sort of gets you into a, a next level discussion about theodicy and the and the problem of evil. Okay, well, if God created us perfect, then you know why are our bodies prone to disease? That just doesn't make any sense. Um, but you know that's a whole other whole other level of of, uh, of discourse. But I, I do think you know the, the striving for it is what's important, right? The the read the quest the reaching for it is what's important, even though we may know we're never going to achieve it. Um and 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 if we think about that i mean we do that with all other aspects of our lives right i mean the, the 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 gymnast is is continuing to strive to get the perfect score in a routine right they may never get it it's it it just may never happen
0: and but that doesn't mean they're not going to start stop trying right yeah it, it's and maybe that is one of the most beautiful things about the human condition is that even though we know we may not ever attain it, some of us never stop trying to get there. You know, and that, that's a miracle in itself and it's such a beautiful thing. It's like, yeah, you know what, you can, you may, the thing is, you'll never probably achieve it, but you must not lay down the tools and stop working. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's that whole bit about, you know, um, what what is... Uh, does, does Yoda say, you know, try, try not do, or, you know, it, yeah. you, you you need to, to just, you need to, and, and I talk about this in the book. It's important to make an effort, right? Yeah. Um, it's what we were talking about last week, right? I mean, Blake's, uh, you know, expect standing, expect poison from standing water, right? I mean, we, we've got to make an effort and, um, constantly be, be looking for, um, I don't know if it's success. I don't think it is success. I think it's looking for achievement. Mm. And for some, that achievement may have to come externally where they're recognized. But for a lot of people, that achievement is, is internal is yeah. knowing, you know, I mean, we, we, you know, our parents used to say, you know, knowing the, 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 the feeling of a job well done. Right. I mean, you know, that's yeah. right. I mean, it, it it's not about you know having somebody pat you on the head and say you know oh very good here's an award. Um, I mean yeah those th- those things are nice, but that shouldn't be what motivates us.
0: Yeah, I um I'm often reminded of I forgot I can't tell you what number it is but there's a quote that says I was born with a thorn in my side a messenger from Satan to torment me. I prayed to the Lord to take the thorn from my side. And in, his infinite, in, and in his infinite compassion, I heard him say to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For in weakness, my, pain, my power is made perfect. And like that seems to sum it all up to me. Like, yeah, you're born with this poison. You're born with this thorn and you can't. But don't worry. You stand tall. You stand strong. And I will, sh- I will work through you. And that, it gives me goosebumps to think about that because we're yeah. all imperfect and we all have this thorn. But that is the story of the hero, be it Joseph Campbell yeah. or be it King Arthur is this person or be even Carl Jung in the shadows. Like you stand up and you face the fire and see what happens. Have a little bit of faith, you know, and yeah. it's so beautiful to me. I love it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you do have to have you have to have faith. And even even if we're not talking again about faith in a, a divinity, you have to have faith, right, right. faith in yourself. Exactly.
0: Right? Exactly.
1: Um, exactly. You know, it, it, no one gets anywhere without having some sense of, 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 faith in their, in themselves. And I'm, I'm, I'm wary to say, have self-confidence because that sound, that's a little bit more, um, on the level of, well, have pride in yourself.
0: Mm, close, Having yeah. faith
1: in yourself is, you know, I, I believe I can do this. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think that, that, that ability is something which is so important to our growth as human beings i mean i see it in in young people in college um you know the 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 student who will take a chance and you know i'm going to take this class well why would you take that you know well i've never taken that class and and i think it would be kind of interesting and i want to challenge myself hey bingo sign you up you're great challenge yourself i'm all for that um, you know, not taking the, 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 kind of the easy way out, but, um, that, you know, what's implied in that is also, a, 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 the danger of failure, right? Is you may yeah. not, you may not succeed. Yeah. Uh, but I think that the important thing from that is what do you learn in the process? Right. So maybe you failed. What did you learn in the process? I think I may have told you this story once before when I was an undergraduate at, at Fordham University. I had a um, a intro to philosophy class, which um, I really struggled with, really struggled with. Um, It was my first introduction to any of these concepts. I was really interested in them, but I was also probably overly argumentative about it. um, And uh, I really had a hard time with it. Um, And the professor and I did not get along. Um, He liked to have the stage, and and I made a joke once in class, and I think that was the end of our relationship. Uh, And years later, it was interesting because I took a course in political philosophy probably four or five years later and wrote a final paper for that course that used Plato and Aristotle all over the place. And I, I, I got a good grade on the paper. And so I copied the paper, and I wrote him a letter at Fordham, and I said, you see, because I think I got a D in that intro to philosophy class. I said, you see, I said, grades don't always indicate what you learned. I learned a lot in that class and a lot from you, even though I got a D, um, you know, and, and, and typical Jesuit, you know, he wrote me back cause he had the last word that he, Great. Said, yeah. you know, he had a, a, a response for everything. Um, <laughs> it's not just about, about grades. Right. Uh, and I try to, I try to tell students that and in our, our, our grade hungry culture, that's really hard. But, um, you know, the, the last thing I say in most of my courses at the last class is I hope you got something out of this class other than a grade. Um, and, and it's true. I want them to take something away from it other than just a grade on a transcript. And oftentimes, you know, and, and other teachers will tell you this, the best evaluations they get are from students who say, you know, I think I'm going to get a C in this class, but I should have worked harder." You know, I know I didn't do my best. It's like, OK, you know, rather than, you know, I think I'm going to get seen in this class because you're a lousy professor and blaming <laughs> it on me, right? Um, which I mean, you know, and, and certainly I'm not saying there are lousy professors and there might not be justified. But in many cases, it, it is that that necessary part of it. And, and I do this at the end of my young course. Students have to do this reflective essay mm. where they reflect on, you know, what did I get out of this semester? What did I contribute? Um, What could I have done better? What was a surprise? Those kinds of things. And those reflective essays they write are absolutely incredible. I've saved a lot of them over the years. They're amazing pieces. Just so insightful. So
0: insightful. Yeah, it it makes me hopeful for our hopeful future. (laughs) Can can you tell us a little bit about Victor Cohen's book? Yeah, Victor
1: Cohen... So he wrote this book uh, back in the 1950s, I think it was 59, um, predicting what the world was going to be like in 1999, Uh, and I believe it's called 1999, Our Hopeful Future, and he predicted things like, uh, you know, there would no longer be umpires at a baseball game, it would all be computerized balls and strikes, Um, and some of the things that he predicted did certainly come, come true. But the interesting thing is that, um, you know, I used to teach, well, I still do teach a course called Hamlet and Hyperspace. It's a course on writing and technology and ideas. And um, I remember when I taught the course in the year 2000, I had um, a, an opening page for the web page that played a soundbite. Um, I believe it was... James Earl Jones, it was some commercial running at the time. And he and he says something like, it's the year 2000. And, um, you know, where are the flying cars? I thought there were going to be flying cars. Uh, and I always thought, think it's interesting when I teach that course on the first day, I show them the opening sequence for the Jetsons. Yeah. Because that was <laughs> supposed to be the future.
0: Yeah, I remember. Um,
1: and some of that, you know, we do kind of have. Um, but it's certainly a lot of it we don't. And uh, I think, you know, this, this question of, whether, of what our future is going to look like, right? So Cohn wrote that book. Now it's about probably 60 years ago. Um, and if you think 60 years from now in 2080, um, what will our future look like then? Uh, we often joke about the fact that that for folks of, of my age, you know when people say 20 years ago we think 1980 um, <laughs> you know it, it time doesn't doesn't work in the same way. Um, but it, it, it's kind of hard to believe when you look at certain things how much time has passed um, since some of these things that now we just take for absolutely for granted. Um, I, I, I I played my students last week and add, from 1995 I think it was for a new video telephone that had just come out. And the ad is hilarious. I mean it looks like something out of a science fiction film. Um, and of course the video phone was was a was a disaster. It didn't go anywhere but but we have it now easily enough. I mean we're 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 talking right now in ways yep. that we didn't before. Um, and so you know I think our our, our future I mean it, it has to be hopeful. Um, maybe the increase that we're seeing in in suicide and depression is an indication that that as a culture we've we've lost a little bit of hope um i'm not sure it's one of those things that i'm still myself kind of struggling with on a daily basis i was watching uh cnn last night which i i've I've tried to cut back on my news watching because of what's going on in the world and and not wanting to be exposed to that so constantly. And the images that are coming out of the Ukraine are just heartbreaking. Yeah. And um, it, it's just, I, I don't know how we move forward from that. Um, but I, I'm sure that people had the same sentiment after World War II. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that our vets felt that way coming back from Vietnam. Uh, you know, how do we move forward? I'm sure our, our, our veterans felt the same way coming back from Afghanistan. Um, and it really does. We, we, we unfortunately tend to measure our historical eras based on conflict. I mean, really, with the exception of the Great Depression, um, pretty much everything that we study in history involves a conflict the american yeah. revolution the war of 1812 this you know you go through them right i mean if you think about what we learned in school right the civil war uh, spanish-american war world war one world war ii korea vietnam afghanistan iraq you know it, it, it's 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 sad i think that that we use that as our um our our posts that we measure things by and instead it would be nicer if we could do that by some of the positive things that human beings have achieved um but we tend not to do that
0: Uh, yeah it's to do that it it makes me sad it's it's almost like it's almost pornographic in a way the way that we have this uninterrupted presence of the visible always there it's just uninterrupted you know in hawaii we don't have any billboards but when i go back to the Mm. mainland it's just this uninterrupted presence and it's always around you and it's the tv and it's the radio and it's a billboard and you don't even have time to think without someone hey come here let me look at this thing and it's and it's net it is conflict it's never conflict resolution it's conflict you know and i On my darker days, I believe it's engineered that way, be it conscious or unconscious. However, the good thing about it is if we can recognize that, then we can make a conscious decision. Oh, we got conflict? Let's talk about the conflict resolution. Let's not talk about the war. Let's talk about what we did to fix it. All our focus should be on the the solution. We should, okay, what happened? Okay, let's find a solution. And I think it can be turned around, and I think a lot of people are seeing that. I think a lot of people are tired of these horrific images of people who are being treated less than human. And we are, we've all played that role. And I don't want anyone to keep playing that role when we can play the role of the person who fixes it. And I think while we may have a little further to go, what you're seeing is a turning point. And after we've covered Carl Jung and Valerie and what this book has helped me to learn is that, yeah, we've gone through these sins, we've done it. And now it's, this I think that what this book represents is conflict resolution. Hey, here's all the battles and here's where we're moving forward. You know yeah. what let me ask you this. What what let me it's a two-part question. Number one, what did you get most out of writing this book? And number two, what is it that you want people to take away from it?
1: I, I think the answer to that may be maybe the same the same thing, which is um, encouraging the use of imagination. We need to engage our imagination. I mean, you talk about the fact that, you know, in Hawaii you don't have billboards, I didn't know that. Um, you know, we we, we we have gotten away from really engaging and encouraging people to use their imagination. And all of the great things that have happened in history to human beings have been the result of imagination. Um, and I mean, innovation, comes from imagination. Now, one of the issues that we've been dealing with recently in our history seems to be that we are moving so quickly Mm. and that we are so concerned about remaining above the water and treading water that there isn't time to, to, to engage in the imagination. And I think that that I I just I think that is so vital. Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's so vital, and and it's the only thing that that's that helps us move forward. I mean, even if you go back, I I was reading about about Steve Jobs and 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 Wozniak this morning, and you know, inventing Apple, founding Apple, and inventing the Macintosh and 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 the other devices that came out of that, and all of that was rooted in wild imagination. Um, I mean, when you think about, you know, and if you go back and read about the process that they were going through, I mean, in those earliest days, I mean, it was, it was lunacy. It was like, what, what are you doing? What, what? <laughs> um, you know, and, and if, if you Google the, the earliest version of the Macintosh computer, it's hilarious. It's made out of wood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it looks hilarious, but it was, that was imagination. And, um, it it is just so important for us to engage in that i am i'm about to go off on on a trip with students to the uk in a couple of weeks and one of our stops is tintern abbey um tintern abbey the site of wordsworth's poem tintern abbey which is is one of my favorite poems of all time and i fully plan to bring that group to tintern abbey and stand there and and read that poem out loud with them um, because it is just, it's it's a brilliant piece about how you use current experience in the future. Wow. How you ha- can, can be grateful for what you're experiencing now. Because what you realize is, as he says in the poem, it will be food in the future. I'm going to use that in the future. Um, and we just, we don't do enough of that. Yeah.
0: What's the name of that poem again?
1: Tintern Abbey. send it to you
0: okay perfect thank you
1: yeah it's a brilliant brilliant poem it 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 it, it's a poem that reflects on the fact that he had been to this spot five years earlier and he's reflecting on what he had gained in the five years and now what he knows he's going to use being here now in the next five years in the future once he leaves Um, so it's about the importance of memory and really about the importance of 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 imagination i mean it was when i w- when i was the last time i was there was uh i guess it was 3 summers ago and um walking around just on the grounds there it just it i got just shivers because knowing that he had been there as part of it to be sure but and and looking at the same exact thing that i'm looking at um, because the the abbey is in ruins it's the ruins of an abbey that he was that he was at but it's right on the bank of the the y river there and um just standing there by the y river i just I, all i could think about was the line in the poem where he talks about standing by the bank of the y river it's that that imagination and 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 it's been three years and i'm still using that so i mean i, I i'm engaging exactly what wordsworth hoped we would i'm using that memory as as yeah. Food today
0: yeah that's that's a beautiful story. I really like that. It's 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 so beautiful how people we admire, regardless of how long ago they lived, never die if we continue to learn from their lessons.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what? Yeah. George, we should do a yep. we should do a live we should do a podcast when I'm at Cintern Abbey. We should do a live podcast. Should, yeah,
0: I'll, you know what I was just gonna tell you that we should do a live reading with your students. Like we let's should,
1: see if we could let's see if we can make that happen. I'm just looking to see what the date is that we're when we're gonna be there. Yeah. We'll work that out. I think it's a it's a Saturday. It's a Saturday. Oh, Perfect. I'm wide um, open Saturdays. But uh yeah, we, we we should do that because it's an incredible spot.
0: Yeah. In we should way. do if if you have any free time over there just let sure. me know and we'll do a we'll do a on 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 location show
1: <laughs> absolutely
0: <laughs> there's a lot of people that'll never get to go there that could see that you know sure. that would be really cool
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah i i learned so much from this book i'm thankful for this book and i just really want to let people know the book is called seven deadly sins and there's so much in there you know after the conclusion there's like four chapters of footnotes <laughs> <laughs> which is always the mark of a great author and a true thinker because it allows you to go back and maybe to read what, where you got that stuff from and also pull the nuggets for yourself. Maybe there's something sure. that you did that they don't see, you know? So I, I really appreciate that. And I, it's a great book, everybody go and read it and keep, put it on your bookshelf or keep it on your nightstand. Cause I think you can, there's been times where I'm like, Oh wait, wait what did he say again? And I can go back and it, it's a really rich experience. And I, I hope more people go out and, and buy it and learn from it and and get it signed by you.
1: Well, I would appreciate it. I appreciate that, George. I appreciate your your, your kind words. Yeah, I'm happy to sign books. If, if folks want to get in touch with me on my website, which is davidasolomon.com, um, I'd be happy to uh, arrange to have a, a signed book and uh, and send it to you. Um, but uh, I've got a blog which is also linked from there. A a new blog was posted um this morning, um, which is about uh the power of of memes and and the way that we are uh not 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 a reading culture um and need to really really change that. Um, I I I I, I had to call it this because I was listening to the radio the other day and, (laughs) and James Brown came on singing it's a man's world. Do you know that song, George? Yeah, and, I do. Um, and so I thought, oh, that's the perfect title for this. I'm going to call it "It's a Memes World." And so I called it "It's a Memes Memes World." And I I had to put in parentheses apologies to James Brown because I wasn't <laughs> sure my readers would get the illusion. But
0: yeah, I thought it was I thought it was awesome. I I I was thinking I'm about halfway through, but I was wondering if maybe what we're seeing is a is a condensing of the languages to become symbols. Like what if we struck all these memes together? Maybe there's so much in a meme that one meme could be a large symbolic paragraph. And maybe we're on a hike back to the tower of Babel in a way. I
1: I think it could. I think the problem, the problem is that most people aren't scratching below the surface, right? So (laughs) we're not, we're not getting into that depth. And that's one of the things that I write about in that blog post is, you know, the, the kind of the death of, of sustained reading um, yeah. where people really do any kind of sustained reading. And so, you know, memes are short and bite-sized and, you know, they, they they go like that. And but I think if they do give you a lot to think about and you probe it, that would be a really interesting way to go. But uh, sadly, I don't think that's what most people do.
0: I wonder if we could create like an alphabet of memes. Hmm. You know, then I mean? yeah. Well, Doctor, I want to be mindful of your time. Yeah. You've been so kind and 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 it's been such a rich conversation for me and several other people and everyone that watches this, I think will be able to take away something that's personal. Is there anything else you want to leave anybody else with?
1: No, I mean I really appreciate this time with you, George. And I've 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 really enjoyed the conversations and and look forward to more in the future on on various other topics.
0: Of course, of course. Well, I know you got a busy time ahead of you and I, we'll, we'll let you go and we'll be back. We're going to take a few weeks off, ladies and gentlemen, but you cannot get rid of us that easy. So we will be back and uh, you'll be seeing notes from us. So check out his blog, check out the book and I hope, I think we all hope you have a phenomenal day for listening to this today. Thank you. Thanks, George. Yep. Okay. Aloha. Bye-bye. Aloha, everyone.